16, verse 1, And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. The people got them by stealth that day into the city as people being ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. And the king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, O O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. So you know the storyline, the the Absalom, that wicked little type of the Antichrist in your Bible, had tried to drive his own father off the throne because his ambition uh, to be the king kind of kicked into overdrive there, kicked into overgear, and he decided he was going to do for himself what God hadn't done for him yet. Rather than slowing down and waiting on God and sitting down and serving his father and serving the king and learning from the greatest king Israel ever saw. What a privilege it would have been to say, I'm Absalom, my dad's King David, and I, and I, me and my dad are real close. And I've learned a lot from my dad. And maybe someday, if God wills, then I'll, I'll be on the throne. But if God doesn't, then it's been a real honor to have him as my dad and been able to serve my dad. See, that's the right spirit. But not Absalom. Absalom wanted that throne, and so his ambition caused him to drive his own father off the throne, violate ten of his father's concubines in the sight of the sun, cause a civil war between David's men and Israel, and then you know the story, last week Absalom winds up dead early uh, because he was stupid. Because God wasn't done with David on the throne. God wanted David to be king in Israel. And since God wanted David to be the king, and David was trying to stay right with God, God put David back on the throne, and Absalom winds up dead fighting against God to do something God didn't want Absalom to do. Following that? But David's heart is a tremendous heart. David, this, this wicked son of his that wanted to kill him, is now dead. And when David realizes my son is dead, he is absolutely grief-stricken because he loved his boy, and he loved his boy unconditionally. He's a good father. Joab comes to David in verse number 5, and Joab came into the house. Joab's the one that killed Absalom. Joab's been nothing but trouble to David. Joab's been uh, just a wicked, a wicked general. Joab came into the house to the, to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day saved thy life, and the lives of thy sons and thy daughters, and the lives of thy wives, and the lives of thy concubines, and that thou lovest thine enemies, and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived, and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore arise. Go forth and speak comfortably unto thy servants, for I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night, and that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. So what Joab does is he comes into David and he rips him apart. He's like, he's mad at David for his response. And he's criticizing David. He's actually saying things about David that aren't even true. But what he did say that seems like it probably was true is in verse number 6, he said, listen, if you don't go, or verse number 7, if you don't go forth and, 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 and get your troops together and get it together and show them that you're back on the throne, then they're going to freak out. You understand that? The entire nation's split. It's all in a complete uproar. And if you don't get a control of the situation as the leader, it's going to be worse for you than anything happened yet. And that piece of it was probably somewhat true. 
David recognized that and obviously acquiesces to what it was Joab was saying, because in verse number 8, then the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told unto all the people, saying, Behold, the king doth sit in the gate. And all the people came before the king, for Israel had fled every man to his tent. And all the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines. And now he's fled out of the land for Absalom. And Absalom, who we had anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? I want to preach to you this morning from this subject before he comes. The king has come back to Jerusalem, but he's not yet set back on his throne at this point. And I want to preach to you taking this storyline and this thought and applying it to you and I before our king comes. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for what we've already read. Perfect words of God. Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful that you've showed me how strong you are how perfect you are, and how perfect your word is. I'm glad I have a Bible to believe, Lord, that stands up to all the scrutiny that any person could ever give it. This book is infallible. It's your words. You said you've exalted your word above all your name. And so this morning, God, as we look into the Bible, I pray that you'd help us to get from this passage, to get from this chapter, to get from this storyline what it is the Holy Spirit of God has for us this morning. Use this, God, please, to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and to help your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A hallmark of our faith, I mean a hallmark of our faith, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is I'm talking about the day of Christ. When you read through your Bible, there's two different phrases, the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. And those two things are not the same because Christ is spelled C-H-R-I-S-T and Lord is spelled L-O-R-D. And you would say, well, Christ is Lord. And you say, well, yes, that's true. Jesus Christ is the Lord. But for some reason, when God the Holy Ghost had the Bible preserved in an inspired way, do you understand that, right? They say, well, I was only inspired when it was originally written down. That, that's a lie, <laughs> He promised he'd preserve it from this generation forever. So if it was preserved when they were first given, then it's still preserved today. You've got the inerrant, infallible, inspired, preserved words of God right here in front of you this morning. And so in some passages in dealing with end times things, the Bible will say the day of Christ. In other passages, it will say the day of the Lord. Now I'm going to give you something that, and I'm not trying to just knock the competition, please. Please don't get that spirit from me. That's not what I'm trying to do. I want you to understand that this is very important. And you will not learn this in 99% of the, quote, Christian churches around. The day of Christ and the day of the Lord are not the same thing. The Bible specifically uses day of Christ in some passages because it shows us doctrinally what's happening and what's going to happen sometime in the near future and what we can expect. In other passages, it refers to the day of the Lord so that you understand doctrinally what that passage is talking about and to whom it is written. You have to grab a hold of that. If you don't grab a hold of that, you will not have any idea what the Bible actually teaches about salvation. 
like the most basic and important thing that the scholars, you know, make a big deal out of to make themselves sound smart. They call it the doctrine of soteriology. All they mean is salvation, right? Are you saved or not? Going to heaven or hell when you die. It's literally that simple. It's a, like a $5 word for nothing so that they can make you think they're smarter than they really are and you need them in order to know the word of God. That's not what we're here. I want you to know the word of God. I want you to know whether or not you're going to heaven when you die. Well, how do you know that? You've got to know that by what this Bible says, right? Other than that, you're basing what you believe on religion, what a man says, how you feel, some experience. And listen, the devil can give you experiences, and so can ecstasy and shrooms and meth and heroin. You're gonna, your experiences cannot be relied on. That's right. The book can. Yes, so how, are you saved? Well, you know, I trust Jesus, and now my works have to endure to the end. Day of the Lord. You're talking about a tribulation passage, right? Where on this earth, the church is gone already. The day of Christ has to do with the church from the rapture to the second advent, to the second coming. So Jesus Christ is going to call the body of Christ out. And that's the day of Christ. It would be dealing with the rapture. It'll be dealing with the judgment seat of Christ for Christians. That's our judgment, not the judgment of the lost. And it also has to do with the marriage supper of the Lamb. The day of the Lord has to do when Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation. While you and I are called out and we're up there in heaven and we're having the judgment seat of Christ judged according to our works, not for salvation. You're, sa- you're saved, that's why you got called out. That's right. But you don't get a free pass after that, like, oh, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. Yes, for your soul you can, but there will come a day that you will answer to Jesus Christ for your life and what you did for him in this life, and that is a scary day. You're not having to worry about whether or not you're going to hell. Right. We're going to talk about it some more this evening. Because it happens, the Lord keeps doing this, man. We're in Second Samuel on Sunday morning, and we're in Revelation on Sunday evening, and the passages line up. You're going to talk about the shame of your nakedness appearing at the judgment of Jesus Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ. You will have shame, and actually, possibly up to a thousand year fallout for not working for Him now, for not doing right now, because your inheritance, your rewards, have to do with that judgment seat of Christ, and it goes on into the millennial kingdom. If you suffer, you'll reign with Him. So there's a big payday coming for doing right. But you're still there because you're saved. Do you understand that? When you're up there, what's going on down here is called the Great Tribulation. And that's when all the world begins to turn against Israel. Tries to wipe her off the map. And Israel eventually starts, they're fleeing into the mountains, they're trying to survive, and all these things are explained in the Bible. Now listen, the church is gone. We're not here anymore. You understand that, right? But there's still people here that can get saved. But the church is gone. So how do people that stay here get saved? Well, you can't receive the mark, right? Do you know when COVID happened, people all, uh, saved people started freaking out about the mark. They're worried about the mark. Do you know when credit cards and social security numbers came out? Everyone's like, oh, is this the mark of the beast? And they're trying to add it up and see if they can come up with a 666. And you can always do that if you're good enough at math. You know, you go, look, this is 19. That's 6 plus 6 plus 6 minus 1. See? <laughs> it's not possible for you to take the mark. That's not happening until you're gone. 
Jesus Christ, the king, is coming back. You understand that? And he's going to get you out of here. They're going to get the mark. There's people that need to get saved in the tribulation period. They need to know how to get saved in their time period. So let me give you a small example. In the Old Testament, what did they do to remit their sins? Sacrifices, right? Why don't you bring a lamb in and slit a lamb's throat on Sunday morning? Because that part of the Bible was not written to you doctrinally. It is written for you. You can learn from all of your Bible, but it's not written to you doctrinally. So there are passages in the Bible that tell you you have to endure to the end to be saved. Trust Christ and works. Do you know how many churches tell you it's your faith plus works that save you? A lot of churches are preaching that, and the problem is they go to the Bible to prove it. But, that's, but they don't understand. You're not talking about doctrine to the church. The Bible is written in the, for the past. It's written for the present. It's also written for the future. In the millennial kingdom, when, Jesus Christ, when the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is ruling and reigning literally on a throne in Jerusalem, on this same earth that you're on right now, Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to put one foot on the Mount of Olives, one foot on the Mediterranean Sea. He's going to split that mountain right down the middle and the battle of Armageddon kicks off where the whole world tries to fight Jesus Christ and you and I when we come back with the king. Are you following me or am I confusing you half to death? We're coming back with the king. And then the millennial kingdom begins and not you and I because we're the bride of Christ. We're already in our glorified bodies. But the people that were here that went through the tribulation into the millennium, they're marrying and they're having babies. How do they get saved? You get saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, what is faith? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Folks, there is substance and evidence to what we believe. Man, if you don't believe the Bible, just sit down with me for an hour. Please give me one hour. I will mess your head up so bad, you have to choose not to believe it because you don't want to. One hour. Faith is substance, yes. And there's evidence to my faith, yes. But it's substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. I just told you, Jesus Christ is going to be sitting on a throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning, and every eye is going to see him. They're going to have to go see him every so often. How can they be saved the same way you and I are saved? It's not by faith. They see them. Do you know there's passages in the Bible that tell you that you got to eat from the tree of life and all this kind of stuff for salvation? That ain't for you. That whole Bible, that's not to you. That Bible that you hold in your lap is an amazing, amazing book. And to tell you the truth, it's simpler than people think it is. The reason people don't get the truth is because they don't want the truth. You better be careful when it comes to your Bible. So guess what the Bible tells you and I is going to happen? I'm talking about a hallmark of our faith for the church age, for the day and age that you live in. You know what a hallmark of our faith is? The imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means any day now, maybe before we finish this meeting, any day now Jesus Christ is going to come back and get you out of this sinful world. Man, that's a great blessing. In other words, no, you're not looking for China. 
You're not looking for Russia to launch nukes. Oh, it's the tribulation. Oh, we're going into the tribulation. COVID, it's the tribulation. You know how many saved people are like, oh man, this is it. This is it, man. They're shutting us down and it's all going to go crazy and they're mobilizing the National Guard. Did you hear what's happening? Relax. I never thought we were going, my doctrine didn't change at all because the Bible didn't change. Let the world burn down, but the book stands. And guess what? COVID came and went. Now, oh, China and Russia, and you hear, and World War III, that's probably setting it up for the Antichrist. Relax. You're not looking for blood moons. It's a blood moon. That's a cheap opportunist manipulating people to make money. I'm not looking for a red heifer. I don't care how many of them sit in churches all over the country. You understand what I'm saying? That stuff is a bunch of baloney. It's not Bible. There's, there's, no, there's no foundation to that stuff. A hallmark of our faith is Jesus Christ can come back anytime he feels like it. He's waiting for nothing but the Father to say go. Wait a second. How does that work out? You don't have time for me to explain it. I'll just say this. In Acts chapter 7, Jesus Christ could have come back. Stephen saw him standing. He'd have come back for Israel, would have kicked off the tribulation period. The whole thing would have happened back in Acts 7. You wouldn't be here. Now, if he could have come back in Acts chapter 7 and fulfilled his word, man, that book is a lot deeper. It's a lot. I said it's real simple, didn't I? It's a lot more complex than you think. Yeah, he said, you just corrected yourself. No, I didn't. That's just the power of God, man. That's an amazing book in your lap. He, we believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In other words, any day the king can come back. You see it down there in verse number 10? It says, why speak ye not a word on bringing the king back or something right to that effect? Yeah. I got a question for you. If the rapture, if the rapture, is a hallmark of our faith. Why is it that 99% of the preaching that's going on all over this country today will not mention a rapture? If you're told to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, if your eyes are supposed to be on the skies, if you're supposed to be living for that day, why isn't it preached? How come nobody's talking about Jesus coming back and getting us out of here? I'll tell you why. You can't build a big church that way. And you can't pad a real fat salary that way. See, big church, big salary, nice cars, nice house. At all. Do you see how it works? Well, doctrinally, I just don't agree. You don't have to agree. It's a free country. And I'm not being a jerk. I promise you. I love it when people come. I like it more when they come back. You understand what I'm saying? But we're not changing our doctrine to tickle people's ears. Not walking in here and changing everything. Oh, can I show you something? No, I've already seen it. You've seen it all? I didn't say I've seen it all or know it all. Best black belts in the world keep a white belt mentality. I just said, no, you're not changing my doctrine. Because I know what I've been taught, and I'm holding fast the faithful word as I've been taught, and I'm trying to teach others also like the Bible's instructed me to do. You're supposed to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So they say, well, he's going to come as a thief in the night. Day of the Lord. Not day of Christ. Excuse me? Let me ask you a question. Does a thief in the night jump on your roof 
and yell your name and say, come up hither! But they mix the two up. Some of you are starting to get that. Sometimes you wonder why I pause. I pause to wait and see if it's going to register, if I'm like, oh, that was totally in my own head and made a lot of sense to me. But you realize that the world's not going to hear or see the Lord come with clouds. They're going to hear thunder. But you're going to see your Savior. You're going to hear your name. And you're going to be changed in a moment in twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised into corruptible, and we shall be changed. You're, you're supposed to be living for that day. With that in mind, there's three different kinds of people in the passage. And I think when the Lord comes, there's going to be three different kinds of people here. The first group I see is a group of critics. I don't want to be with the side, on the side of the critics when the Lord comes. I think he might come real soon. I hope and pray it's true. I like to watch the news and see all the crazy stuff and see how that could line up just like anybody else does. But every time I get into one of those conversations, especially with another preacher, I like to say, let's just hit the pause button real quick. Let's rewind back to World War II. If you were alive then preaching and believed the Bible and doctrine like you believe it now from the Bible, what would you be thinking is happening in World War II? When the, when the Jews are being marched to the slaughter like they were. Would you change your doctrine thinking maybe we're out in the tribulation period, they're wiping out the Jews? Did you ever stop and think about that stuff? Everybody's staring at the news now and you're addicted to that stupid news and they're still trying to find more information to mess you up and scare you. Oh, China's army is better than ours and all the rest of this stuff and what are we going to do? And Don't, you know what? Put a bullseye right on my roof and just land the first nuke right there and we'll be good. My whole family's saved. We're going to Jesus. We'll go together. We won't know any difference. We'll just be bloop, lights out and it's fine. We'll be with the Lord. That's the worst case scenario. You think about it. All wound up about all this stuff. The more they talk, the more they talk about peace and unity. Anybody enjoy daylight savings time? Anybody enjoy daylight savings time with unexpected snow? Well, I mean, they're saving the environment. We're fixing it all. We're conserving energy, aren't we? And he's over there about to push a nuke button. Do you you get the point I'm making? The more we talk about fixing the problem, look at verse 9. When the king's not on the throne, all the people are at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel. You know why? Because the king wasn't on the throne. You understand that? A type of the Antichrist was on the throne. You know who's running the world right now? You know who's running this world? Lord, help us to further thy kingdom. What are you talking about? Do you know whose kingdom is here? The church isn't his kingdom. I'll talk to you about that tonight. That's Roman Catholic doctrine. That's what led to the Crusades. That's why the Muslims and the Catholics were butchering each other over property and lands and power and politics. This ain't his kingdom. Satan is the God of this world and you're occupying, Jesus said, till I come, you're occupying enemy territory because he's coming and hey, listen, I'm good with it. We'll hold the fort, the last of the Alamo, and we'll fight till he comes because he's coming. Don't let me get caught with the critics when he shows up. Joab is in the mix. 
isn't he? Verses 1 through 7, we already read it. Joab's, Joab's looking at the king, and he's like, why are you being so unfair? This ain't right. Absalom's wicked. Look at all the damage Absalom's done. Look at all the problems in this nation. Look at all this. How come you're not dealing with it? You ever feel that way towards God? You'd never say it like I just said it. But the truth is, I mean, if you're standing before a holy God that can read every thought you got, the depths of your soul, the motive and everything else, knows you inside and out, and he's not letting you get away with it. The truth is, God, that ain't fair. Right. You're right. Now, now, just so you know, I've felt that way. There's been more than once in my life that I've looked at things and the way they played out and what happened, what was involved and said, that ain't right. Why would God allow? How come he's getting away with that? And every move I make, if, it's, if, if I'm even a little bit off, it feels like God just knocks me half out. You better be careful about not being a critic of God and of what he is or isn't doing in your life or in the world around you. Because he might call you name at any moment and you might be standing right in his presence and I don't want to be caught a critic of God when he shows up. Can I say this compassionately, folks? A lot of times, we just don't understand what he's doing. But if you'll love him and stay faithful to him and keep your eyes on his coming, then sooner or later, yes, probably even in this lifetime, he will show you what he was doing and it will make sense. And I've come to points in my life where I've got on my knees and thanked him for what at one point hurt me, bothered me, destroyed me, was about to wreck my life, I've got on my knees and thanked him. In other words, I have some problems and some heartbreaks and some things that bother me and still bother me. I'm just as human as you are. Things that aren't fair. Things that aren't right. And they tear me up from time to time. But you know what I've come to realize? That king, that king... Jesus Christ, he puts up with stuff because he's long-suffering and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not unjust. What you've got to understand is that in the book of 2 Timothy, the Bible says some men's sins go before unto judgment, and some men they follow after. Don't criticize God because you see things in the world that are unfair or in your own life that are unfair, or because you've been hurt by some wicked Absalom, some wicked sinner, and it looks like now they've gone on with their life and they're happy. And by the way, I can help you with that. Get off social media. If you're not going to get off social media, unfriend and unfollow. Because the people that hurt you the most are going to make sure that they rub it in your face that their life is successful, wonderful, and happy. And they're liars. Listen, here's what it is. Sometimes somebody messes up and their sins go before in a judgment. In other words, you mess up and God deals with you. Now, if you're one of those, thank God for it. But it's not fair because what will happen is you always get in trouble. My parents are so hard on me. We hardly do anything and my friends get away with murder. Thank God. Thank God. That's a good thing. 
Because the Bible says this, some then they go before in a judgment, but others they follow after. What it literally is, the person you're looking at and you're saying, that's not fair, God's not fair, that didn't work out right, I don't understand. That person's going on with their life and they're oblivious and they're happy, but a monster is behind them. And that monster is following them. And that monster is going, listen to me, it is going to catch up with them. Do you understand me? Well, I just don't know. It didn't say in this lifetime. Nine times out of ten in this lifetime it does. But even if you see a situation where it doesn't, that's why God wrote that book in your lap. So you can understand that he's God and everybody will give an account of himself to God. So you look at the king and you start criticizing his response and reaction to Absalom's death. His avoidance of the conflict. His unwillingness to deal with it early. You know what he was hoping for? He was hoping for Absalom to get right. Remember when Absalom came to him and said, I made a vow, I got to go pay my vow? He says, go. You know what he's thinking? Maybe this is it. Maybe that knucklehead's finally going to deal with God. Maybe that idiot's finally going to get on board. He wanted his boy to get right. And you got this wicked Joab criticizing the king. Don't be found a critic of God when he shows up. I'm just making the point. I'll move to my next point, but listen. A lot of people, without realizing what it is, get bitter towards God. It's not God I have a problem with. It's just not fair. It's just life. No. I might suggest to you, you step back for a second and say, maybe I really do have an issue with God. Don't be a critic of the Lord. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. you just got to let him be God. Notice in verse number 6, when he's a critic of God, he winds up overstepping. This is why you shouldn't be a critic of God. He said, And that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. Was that true? That ain't true of David. That ain't true of God. If God loves his enemies and God is love... How much more does he love you? Do you ever stop and think about that? It hit me this week like it's never hit me before, and I I don't know exactly how to describe it to you without going into some lengthy things, so I'll just say it. It hit me this week how much God loves his bride. God, Jesus Christ, your Savior, loves you. If you're saved, you're his bride. You know what else he loves? Here's where it gets tough. This is tough for me. I'm, I'll be, I'm just being honest with you. This is a tough truth for me to handle. He loves his enemies. Yeah. You know why that's tough for me? Because I got enemies. I try not to, but you know they happen. <laughs> <laughs> I have a real hard time when I watch God bless somebody that hurt me. Ain't that terrible? See, right when you thought, my pastor's so spiritual. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Just as human as you are. I have a hard time with that. I've had to come to grips with the fact that God's not disloyal. See, I believe in loyalty. I was raised to be loyal. 
I haven't naturally, instinctively in me a, a loyalty streak. I can't stand a disloyal man. I can't stand him. I just can't stand him. I can't, I just, I just can't stand him. A, a snake, you know, an Absalom, you know, a self-motivated, self-obsessed. He thinks he's everything and it's just all about him all the time and he, I just can't stand him. How many of you, how many of you ladies like a cheater, cheating husband? You're a snake, right? Got a pro- I got a problem with disloyalty. But you know what God sees it as? God sees it as another sin, another flaw in human nature. And God says, I love them. And I want to give him a chance to get cleaned up of it. I want to give him a chance to get right. No, I'm not going to bust his head just because he offended you, Mikey. You're so important, aren't you? Well, I guess I'm wrong, Lord. You think I love you? Yeah, I guess you still love me. So can I love your enemy too and still be your God? Yes, sir. It's not worth losing my relationship with him over. Joab starts making accusations against him that aren't true. He says, For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. He didn't say that. But he didn't. They were just humans. That's a good king, not a bad one. You ought to want a pastor that could care less how much money you make. If it bothers you that I don't care about your social status, then something's wrong with you. No, no, you're right, I don't. (laughs) Do you know what that is? No. See, I'm a jerk, though. I mean, I remember when I was a kid sitting at some of those restaurants, and my buddies saw some guy who was a professional sports player. One of the, I don't even remember what team. Never was into any of the sports anyhow. So I, I, oh, look who that is. Let's go get his autograph. I said, no, I'm not running over to another dude and saying, will you please give me your I, that to me, I, you guys probably do that, and it's cool. I get it. I, no, seriously, I get it. You know, maybe if it was like Conor McGregor or something, I might change my mind. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just to me, like, I said, no, tell him if he wants my autograph, he can come get it. You know, like, arrogant little cuss, you know? But I mean, really, I mean, really, is he supposed to be regarding princes? And No, he's supposed to be the king. And right now, he's a dad. He wants to see his boy get right, and now his boy's dead. He's a critic of him, but Joab couldn't have been more wrong. This day I perceived that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. See what happens when you get critical? You start making false accusations. You start misjudging the heart. You don't get it. Notice also Shimei, we won't go through it verse by verse, but in verses 16 through 23, Shimei is the first one to come meet David. You remember Shimei, right? He's seen David leaving and he was cursing at him. Remember that? Go out, that bloody man! He was criticizing him. Guess what? The king's coming back now. And the first guy to get there is Shimei. And he's on his face in confession saying, I know that I've sinned. Thy servant doth know. Please don't take my life. And he was talking to the right king. Because David said, no. No problem, no one's dying. Abishai's over there. We ought to kill him. He cursed the king. We ought to kill him. We ought to kill him. He said, you sons of are too hard for me. Leave him alone. Don't you know I know I'm king? Don't you understand? I don't care right now. I'm coming back in here. My boy's dead. Leave him alone. You know what he did? He forgave Shimei. Now, here's the thing. This is the thing. You can curse God now. 
You can criticize him now. But when he shows up, you're going to be on your face in front of him. You understand that? Well, I don't want to get it right today. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of everybody. I don't want to deal with that now. I don't want to humble myself to the person that hurt me and let him go and forgive him, even though they haven't asked me. I don't really want to do that now. Okay, then wait till you see him. Look him right in the eyes, your Savior. Those nail-scarred hands. Let those eyes pierce through your soul. And you'll be on your face saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You were right and I was wrong. I didn't see it. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I was stuck in that tiny little life and I was trapped in that little human body and my frail human understandings and my frail emotions and you tried to help me, but I wouldn't listen, but I'm listening now. You know how great God is? He'll say, I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Don't kill me, Lord. (laughs) Doctrine didn't change. You're not going to hell. You're here. But we'll talk some more about it tonight. The shame of being a Shimei stayed with him the rest of his life. Now you think about that for a minute. Do you know they say, well, I can't wait to go to heaven because all tears will be wiped away. Yeah, you know when? Over a thousand years after the rapture. He doesn't wipe away all tears till eternity future. You got a minimum of a thousand years to think back and wish you'd have done more. Don't be a Shimei. You guys, we can all get it right at the judgment seat of Christ. I think we can and we will. But wouldn't it be better to do it now before he comes back? Before he comes, I don't want to be a critic. Before he comes, I don't want to be companion with compromisers. There's a whole bunch of compromisers in the passage. In verses 8 and 9, you see Israel is a compromising nation because they love the world. It says the king arose and stood in the gate and there's the people all all at strife and all upset because they come before the king. Every man has fled and it's all an absolute mess. What happened in Israel? What had been going on? Why did the masses of God's people go for Absalom? How did they get deceived by that? I'll tell you how. They loved the here and now. They were making decisions based on the moment. And in the moment, what was going to save their careers and save their homes and save their job and save their skin was signed with Absalom. They sold out David. Compromiser. And this nation, the United States of America, is full of compromising Christians that will sell them out in a heartbeat for a cotton-picking paycheck. I got got to say, it disgusts God. All right, lukewarm. I mean, what what are we really going to do when it really gets on? This nation got tore apart when they said, wear a mask. You're not going to tell me what to wear. I'm 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 not a liberal. I hate masks. I don't think they work. All the rest of that stuff, I'm with you. But literally, that was like, that was persecution for this country? We're in a mess. You understand that? You know why? We've been so blessed. Under our king. I mean, even the worst of us, we got nice places to live, nice vehicles to drive. There ain't nothing. I thought I died and went to heaven when we got the flex. And you go out there and you start the car and you turn on seat warmers and you go in the house and you wait for it to warm up. Now I start it from the house. Understand what I'm saying? Yeah, man. You just kind of like make sure you just crack the door, make sure you hear it. And then, yeah, baby. We have got it so good. 
The greatest trick of the devil on the church was to give us all the money we've got, all the safety we've got, all the comfort we've got, all the entertainment we've got, all the sports we've got. Our jobs are more important than going to church. I think we're doing God a favor to show up. I go once a week. We don't read our Bibles. We don't pray. What do we need to pray for? You know what would do us a lot of good? I'm going to say it. You don't want me to say it. I'm going to say it. You know what would do us a lot of good? Some persecution. Dude, it would do us a lot of good. A little bit of a recession, maybe even a depression. We start seeing some people get saved, some people get serious about God. Amazing how the church house filled. We started the church in 2008 in the middle of the Great Recession. You wouldn't believe how fast the church filled up. And how miraculous God was to provide for us when nobody had money. It was amazing. Selling out. Israel sold out. Why? Because Absalom was a safe route. Nobody was saying, hey, David, if they're drumming you out of town, you've been here how long now? They're drumming you out of town. I'm going with you. Well, I don't got a whole big crew. I just got about 600 guys. and make it 601. Let's go. You know, we might die. Let's die. I would rather die. I would rather die with my character intact I'd rather go out on my shield saying he did something and stood for something and believed something than to live a coward's life. Amen. But the whole nation's doing it. You understand, folks? Their whole nation's doing it. They're going after Absalom. Churches will fill up, man. I mean, you pack an amphitheater full as long as you don't preach like I'm preaching right now. Right. Don't be one of them. Don't side up with compromisers. Don't yoke up with the people that will go for Absalom because they want their security. I want my security. Are you kidding me? You think I actually want to suffer? Right. Any suffering I, want, I do, I want to sign up for. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm going to the gym and then I'm leaving. You know what I mean? I'm in control of how much suffering I do. Yeah. I, I'm not, I like sitting on my nice, comfortable couch where you put the feet goes up like that and then the back goes and you can kind of like pick your spot anywhere you want. I mean, all the way back where my feet are almost higher than my head. That's like total chill mode. But you can kind of get it like halfway because I don't want to fall asleep yet. You understand what I'm saying? And then the back of the top back of the thing, that, that just too for my head. So it's not just front, back, here, middle. It's also the back. So then you get there and now you adjust it so your head's in the... Yep, well, ah, right there. And yes, I got a fuzzy blanket. I ain't ashamed of it. You make fun of me, I'll kill you. Amen? Indians wore blankets while they scalp people. I like being comfortable just like you do. I'm not asking God to curse us. What I'm asking you today is to consider, would you sell out God for all that? Is that more important than God? Is your kid being some superstar on their dumb little ball team more important than putting them in church and keeping them in church? I know some young people with full ride scholarships to college that said, no, God called me to preach. I'm going to Bible school. That's the kind of kid. I'm talking about young ones. Young ones. That's the kind of, you know, I told you last time we were here, people are underestimating this generation of teenagers and 20 year olds. The vast majority of them are so messed up. That's why we're doing it. But you're underestimating a lot of them. Don't be a compromiser. The Lord's coming. 
They make a big mistake when they sell out David for Absalom because that didn't last. And I'm telling you right now, you can sell out all you want for fame, popularity, money, social media, you know, clicks going viral and all that, but that stuff does not last. Do you understand that? And it won't last. So go for it if you want. If that's important to you, then it's a free country. Jesus Christ is the world's most perfect gentleman. He'll never force you to serve him. Do what you want. But I'm telling you right now, you'll wish you hadn't. Notice Ziba in verse number 17. You all remember him? said, there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba the servant of the house of Saul and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him, and they went over Jordan before the king. Ziba comes down there to meet the king at the ferry, and he's all like, you know, hurrying up to go meet the king. You know what Ziba had done? He had lied to him. When David was running, he said, where's Mephibosheth, the lame, the crippled guy that Ziba was supposed to be taking care of? Oh, he thinks he's going to take your throne. He's a liar. He is a compromising liar, manipulating the king because he wanted money. Look, look at him. Look at him in verse 26. When Mephibosheth shows up, he says uh, in verse 25, the king says to him, Wherefore, when is thou not with me, Mephibosheth? Why didn't you come with me, man? Uh, king, I'm crippled. I can't unless Ziba brought me. And he answered, My lord, O king, my, my servant deceived me. For my servant said, I'll saddle me and ask that I might ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before, my king, before the lord, my, my lord the king. Yet thou didst set thy servant upon them, uh, among them that did eat at thine own table. What right have I yet to cry any more unto the king? You see his response? This man, this man, we'll come back to him in a minute, but he got set up by Ziba. Ziba lied about him, and the king said, fine, all that is Mephibosheth's is yours. He manipulated the king. It's like manipulating God to get God to bless you because you're only serving God for you. In other words, make sure you tithe because if you don't tithe, God's going to blow out your tires on the way home. You're going to slide off the road in the snow and get into an accident. And you know what? It costs a lot more to get that wrecker and fix that car and pay your deductible than it would have just been if you had just tithed. What are you teaching people? You're teaching them to tithe so that God will bless them. I'll tell you what. You go ahead and tithe today. Put 100 bucks in there. Put 1000 bucks in there. Guess what will happen? The church will have 100 or 1000 more dollars in its accounts and you'll have 100 or 1000 less in yours. Still want to give? You say, why do you, do, why do you say stuff like that? Why do you do stuff like that? Because I know what God will do if you give that way. God will take care of you. I don't have to manipulate you to get money out of you. I don't manipulate God for it. I do not tithe so God will give me more money. Right. Somebody told me recently that a co-worker of theirs, I would never, never name who or anything like that. I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody. But a co-worker of theirs came and said, hey, does your church, uh, does your church expect you to tithe? And he's like, well, um, no. Like... He explained to him what we believe about, about giving and following the Holy Spirit in your giving. And, and the guy said, yeah, well, I'm fixing to join a church. And they told me that I needed to make a pledge that I'd give 10% of my income if I became a member. If we get to that point, let's just shut the doors and go home. I mean, if God can't pay the bills and if you're not behind it anyways because you want to be, because you love God, then what are we doing here? We do what we do because we love him. We're not manipulating the king to try to get ourselves taken care of in this world. That's right. 
period. That's a compromiser. Look at the last thing and then we'll go home. Two sides I don't want to be on is with the, I don't want to be on the side of the critics and I don't want to be on the side of the compromisers, but I do want to be on the side of the companions of the king. In this passage, as the king is coming back, guess what? There's 600 guys that are coming with him. <laughs> you ever see how many men he had before he was on the throne? He has 600 guys. They drive him off the throne after the whole nation, his popularity and his fame, and he's the king, he's the king. Yeah, they run him off and he's down on his luck. But the 600 loyal guys, they said, if you're out, we're out. Man, those guys are soldiers, man. Those guys were the real deal. And when the king came back, guess who's coming with him? The 600 loyal soldiers. You understand what I'm saying right now? I hope he comes back before I die. But if he doesn't, I want to come back with him as one of them 600 soldiers. You understand, there's some preachers that went on before me, and I'm under no illusions of thinking that I'm going to be greater than my father's. (laughs) I will never be a Jim Lentz. I will never be a Peter Ruckman. I will never be a Lester Roloff. I will never be a, 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 a Carl Lackey or any of these other guys that they talk about. Some of the good old guys that are over on the other side now. Herbert Noe. Man, that church had like 800 people in it, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it was packed, huge. And then he took a stand for the King James Bible and lost about half of them. And I showed up at that church as a kid. There's probably, I think, about 400 people. I think, I could be mistaken, but I think the sanctuary sat about 800 people. And that's where I grew up. That old man was crippled. He had tuberculosis when he was a kid, and his leg was all like that, and he walked on a king. He sat on a bar stool that was sitting on a platform to preach. You know what he was? He was a great preacher. Jim Lentz credited his ability to, to preach and the giftedness that he had in prep and delivery to sitting under Dr. Noe as one of the guys that influenced him tremendously in learning what preaching actually was and what it wasn't. Those guys are all in heaven, man. They're gone. I'll never be as great as them. I don't want to be. I want to just be who God wants me to be. I live in a different day and a different time. I accept that. But guess what? I'm here. Now. Because God wants me here now. You're here now. Because God wants you here now. Man, I wish I lived back in the day when churches were filling up and you could have four, five, six, seven, eight hundred people and preach hard. Hey, listen. Thank God you're in it now. Be one of those loyal companions of Jesus Christ because he's going to get us out of here. And if he doesn't, I don't want to die with my boots on. Don't want to be a compromiser and I don't want to be a critic. I want to be a companion. If that means he suffers, I suffer. You don't like him, you don't like me. You don't love the Bible, you don't love me. I believe the Bible. You think that makes me a heretic? There you go, I'm a heretic. I believe that book. I'm going to stand for that book. I'm not ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I'm not ashamed to tell you I believe every single word of my Bible cover to cover. I'm not ashamed of it. But there's more. There's not just the loyal, the companions who went with him, but there's the loyal ones who stayed behind in enemy territory. In verse number 11, you see him at his will, remember? The king sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak unto the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back? Well, you remember what happened with those two priests? When he ran out of town, they wanted to go with him. He said, No, go back. Remember that? 
they stayed in enemy territory, that's where you're at right now. You're stuck in enemy territory. Absalom's running the show. But the king wants you here right now. So there's some oil that have to stay put. Well, I, I want to be a companion of the king even in enemy territory. So you've got to be careful what you let in your eyes. You've got to be careful what you let in your ears. You've got to be careful what you let in your mind. You've got to be careful what you let in your heart because you're in enemy territory and the enemy's strong. And he wants to get you to turn on the king. But the king is coming, and when he shows up, don't you want to be his companion of his? I don't want to be a shimei begging for forgiveness and getting it. Thank God for that. I won't go to hell, but I don't want to wait till then to get right. I don't want to be a Joab. Are you kidding me? I don't want to be like Israel selling out for the temporary goods of this earth. I don't want to be a Zeba lying about a lame man so I can set myself up with the king. I want, to be, I want to be a loyal companion. But see, here's the last point, And you look at it in verses 30 through 40. You can check it out later. There's an old man named Barzillai. Barzillai the Gileadite. He's an old guy. He, he couldn't go with David. David's coming back. David says, come with me. He says, man, I'm too old. I don't have the strength to do what I used to do. You know what he is? He's the type of some of you this morning that I'm not saying that you're old, but I'm saying he's wore out. You understand that? He's absolutely slap wore out. Life has worn him out. I don't care how tough you think you are. Stick around long enough. The wrinkles are coming. The grays are coming. Whether you want to or not, some of you are going to get bald. There ain't nothing you can do about it. Unless you want to be a weirdo and be a dude going to get like your hair dyed and all that stuff. Some of you probably do that. Sorry. Love you anyways, but generation we live in, you know what I mean? If you wear complexion correction, please just don't tell me, okay? That was a 90s thing. For, that's why all the old people laughed. Listen. Some people from just life get battered and beaten, and broken, and wore out. They're not feeling all that, you know, testosterone, adrenaline the young guys feel. They're not feeling all that, yeah, let's go get them for Jesus, and some of you need to feel it and do it. If you got it, that's where you're at, then go for it, man. That's what God wants out of you. But not everybody's that way. Some people just need to come to church and sit down and see the king. And you know what he said to him? He gave him his blessing. He said, fine, don't go with me. But that old man had something to offer because he had life under his belt and he had acquired some things. And he says, here, I can give you a bunch of stuff to help refresh the young guys. Now, young guys, go get them. And he's given of his wealth to support. He did what he could. You know, some people get wore out. And I'll tell you this much. What I have definitely seen is that people that are just wore out from life but love the Lord feel bad about not doing more for the Lord than what they're doing. And I am telling you, this sounds so unspiritual, I'm telling you it's a trick of the devil. That you feel bad for not doing more. Some of you need to lower the bar a little bit and just stay faithful. Just come to church, sit in a pew, get fed, go home, 
try to walk with God, come back, sit in a pew, get fed, go home, try to walk with God, and stay faithful till the king comes, and you'll be one that's happy to see him considered a companion to the king. What about Mephibosheth? He was lame. What do you want from a lame guy? He was lame and set up. The king came back, he did what he could, and he couldn't do what he couldn't do. You know what he was? A companion. The king came back and said, okay, then you and Ziba split it. It was a test. It was a wise test. And Mephibosheth said, give it all to Ziba. I just want you. The king's back and I'm happy. You know, some of you probably are not, not meaning this in a funny way. Some of you probably are a Mephibosheth. You're lame. I wish I could do more. Yeah, you're considered a companion of the king when you care more about his return than you care about anything else. And he sees that, and I'm telling you, just trust me, the power of God is so great that he sees in your heart your desire to do more, and he will reward you accordingly. He judges the heart. Some people can't do it. They just can't. But you know what they can do? They can stay faithful. They can get their eyes on the king. They can get their heart right before he comes back. And they can be a companion of his when he shows up. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.